Um, our reading this evening can be found on page 1152 in uh, the Church Bibles. Or if you've got the large print Bibles, page 1829. And it's taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12 and verses 1 to 11. And it's about spiritual gifts. Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. This is the word of the Lord. Well, why not turn to the person next to you, and um, just as we begin uh, this little bit of service tonight, just um, talk about your experience of the gifts of the Spirit. Do you know what they are? Do you love them? Are Are you frightened of them? Have you heard of them before? Why not turn to the person next to you, the person you came to tonight, just as we begin tonight, think about that. 10 or 15 seconds. Well done. Okay, shall we come back together again? Now, I've got an important question for you. Uh, I'm obviously going to look at this passage tonight, but who here has been following the Rugby World Cup? That's quite a few. Some of you haven't. As you know, if you don't know me, my name's Mike. Uh, I kind of lead the church here, and uh, I'm half Kiwi. So I've been inflicting on the congregation... um, 
uh, talk of the All Blacks for many, many weeks now. I'm an England fan as well, because I have dual nationality. It was a bit gutting what happened to England. So I went into Kiwi Overdrive, and I've been really, really hoping that they win. I've been really, really, really hoping that they win. I've been eagerly, eagerly, eagerly desiring that they win. I've been reading all the newspaper reports. I've been following all of their games. I've been uh, just hoping that Dan Carter doesn't get injured or Richie McCaw. And I've been behind this team, hoping, hoping, hoping. Eagerly, eagerly, eagerly desiring that they win. And then on Thursday, I was away on the Isle of Wight. It was half term. I took my wife and my boys uh, away. We went to the Isle of Wight and we got a phone call on Thursday, would you believe? And some I said, Mike, I don't know whether you'd be interested at all, but would you like two tickets for the World Cup final? <laughs> and so yesterday, Bex and I were there cheering the All Blacks on. My voice is going because I was sang for about two hours, All Blacks, <laughs> All Blacks, uh, for hours on end. It went late into the night at Twickenham. And um, basically, uh, I've just, it was just this amazing time. So what I want to do is ask you tonight, what are you eagerly desiring? I've been eagerly desiring uh, the All Blacks victory that has come. But actually, um, the Apostle Paul, uh, if you've read any of the Bible, I know we've got people here tonight. We're doing all of our services. You wouldn't necessarily call yourself uh, a Christian. But actually, there's this character uh, in the New Testament in church history called the Apostle Paul. He said this, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit especially prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14.1. So as Christians then, we're called to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit that Leslie's just so beautifully uh, read out, the lifts of them. And uh, basically, I want to suggest tonight, as a church, what's our vision? Our vision is to... This is the power of my communication of vision that three people know what it is. It's actually to love God, love people, and make a difference. And actually, it's only through... Um, actually uh, being people of the Spirit, that that's ever going to happen. By being open to the Spirit of God, following the Spirit of God, being empowered and anointed by the Spirit, emboldened by the Spirit, forgiven by the Spirit, all these things, to actually, we're going to see that vision happen. And there's all sorts of uh, dimensions to being a person of the Spirit. But one thing is, people of the Spirit move in the gifts of the Spirit. They eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, and they move in the gifts of the Spirit. And I just want to uh, explore this tonight. I want to um, go through a few things tonight, which I hope will help. Now, I'm aware that um, there are barriers, if you like, to moving in the gifts of the Spirit. So in response to the question, uh, are you moving in the gifts of the Spirit, uh, how are you responding to that question? Is it a yes or a no or a slightly um, uh, you don't have to answer that out loud, by the way. But there are a number of barriers that would stop us from actually moving in the gifts of the Spirit, as Paul would want us to. And there's a few things here I want to mention. One is ignorance. Some people have never heard of the gifts of the Spirit. They, they've never even heard that um, passage we just had read from the Bible. So they kind of, well, I've never heard of them. Well, you're not going to move in the gifts of the Spirit if you've never heard of them. Some people actually think, well, I have heard of them, but I don't think God really, really does uh, those sorts of things anymore, like healing people or uh, speaking today. You know, it just sounds too weird. And I used to be in that category. I heard the, about these gifts for the first time about 25 years ago. I thought, these things sound weird. I just, I just can't see how that would happen. What do you mean? 
distinguishing between the spirits. What do you mean speaking in tongues? That just sounds weird to me. Uh, I just, I'm not sure I believe that. Other people have actually theological reservations around whether you can actually move in the gifts of the Spirit. They would say, you know, when we read the Bible, you clearly see them, but actually they stop now. And uh, since the death of the apostles, that's the end of the apostolic age, actually uh, God is no longer giving these gifts. That's known as cessationism. And uh, we'll talk a bit about that tonight. Maybe you feel inferior or insecure. That's another barrier to moving in the gifts of the Spirit. You kind of think, well, okay, these things sound good. These things sound uh, amazing, but God would never give me a gift like that. And uh, it's only for really spiritual people or really holy people. My life's a mess, and um, uh, I, I, I just don't get this God thing. I struggle to follow God, so he's not going to give me uh, gifts. That's another barrier. Again, we're going to debunk that myth tonight. Maybe it's practice. You kind of think, you know, I read these gifts. I've read about them. Gosh, I'd love to move in these gifts, but I have no idea of how to do that. Maybe you just don't know. It's a barrier of not knowing how to practice them, or it's a barrier of fear. It could be another of things, because these gifts um, are quite strange, aren't they? Some of these gifts can sound quite strange, and it's kind of not very sorry, is it, to distinguish between the spirits? You know, we eagerly desire the opening of Waitrose more than we uh, eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, maybe. Um, and uh, then for some of you, it could be perseverance. You know, maybe you've, you've uh, oh yes, I used to do all of that years ago. It's a perseverance barrier. And actually, uh, preparing this talk, it's been interesting just reflecting on my own journey, how at times I've really sought to move in these things, at other times I haven't. And I would say to anyone tonight, you know, if you've been a Christian a while, you've been moving in these things, I'd encourage you to go deeper into these things. So what we're going to do tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to debunk all of these um, things, all of these barriers, I'm hoping, uh, single-handedly to do that. And um, we'll see where we go. But what I want to do, first of all, is to make some very broad introductory reflections, if you like, about the gifts of the Spirit. The first thing to say about them is that we mustn't be ignorant of these gifts. As Christians, we mustn't be ignorant uh, of these gifts. It's really important that we know about them. The Apostle Paul would say, verse 1, he says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So this is important that we're not ignorant of these things. Secondly, uh, it's worth noting that these gifts, it's an obvious thing to say, they're actually supernatural gifts. These are, are gifts from the Holy Spirit, supernaturally imparted to his people, uh, Christians, uh, in the church. So these aren't natural endowments. It's not like we have latent human capacities, if you like. But these are actually supernatural giftings from God uh, and his spirit. And uh, actually, if you want to move in these gifts, then, uh, then according to the Apostle Paul in the opening few verses of this passage, then actually you need to uh, become a Christian because these are gifts from the Holy Spirit to the church. And uh, actually... Uh, they're gifts available to the church. They're supernatural gifts for people under the lordship of Christ, verse 3, in contrast to people um, whom maybe aren't followers of Christ. And uh, you'll see that reference in verse 2 to Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, the Corinthian Christians. Many of them have recently come to faith. And so he says to them, you know, actually, uh, you can't uh, say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And these are gifts of the Spirit, supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Uh, 
Thirdly, um, at least uh, the Spirit gives at least one of these gifts to every Christian, at least one of them. So this is important for the insecurity or inferiority barrier. Uh, Verse 7, notice that the gifts are given to each one. So every spiritual Christian should exercise at least one of these things. And so it's important that we start there, uh, that we know that these gifts are a reality. Uh, They are um, a reality. They're supernatural. Christians will have, according to Paul, at least one of these things. And uh, actually, they're a real blessing to the church. And um, you can see that um, uh, they're given for the common good in verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. These gifts are important, actually, because it's not about looking... uh, really good yourself or looking uber spiritual, I've got all of these gifts. Actually, when you exercise these gifts, with one exception of the gifts which we'll come to, you actually bless other people. That's the point. That there are ways we bless other people uh, in the church and on the edge of the church and in the community. So um, that's my sort of opening um, section. <laughs> if you like. And uh, I want to just talk to anyone here tonight who maybe has theological reservations about these very, very briefly before I go through each one of these gifts. But you see, maybe actually you're what's known as a cessationist and you think actually that uh, these gifts are no longer given. They died out with the apostles. This is um, out there uh, a bit. Now, one of the interesting things, if you look at church history, is some of the most extraordinary doctrines of the church get lost from time to time if you look back in church history. So justification by faith, the priesthood of all believers was lost by the church. And at, as you know, at the time of the Reformation, the church grabbed these doctrines back. What happens uh, to the gifts of the Spirit is these things can be lost. And uh, actually, cessationists would say, Actually, they, they, they stopped uh, when the church fathers, uh, or the apostles of the church, sorry, um, actually died. Cessationists would say three things about the gifts of the Spirit in argument that they stopped. I just want to cover very briefly. They would say, if you look at church history, actually, the miraculous and the charismatic, the exercise of these gifts, died out with the, the apostles. That's what they say. If you look at church history, that's what's happened. Actually, that's not what's happened, first of all. One of the fascinating things, I've read a bit about this uh, recently and in previous years, in every um, uh, century since the church was birthed to this very, very day, uh, the miraculous has uh, happened across the church, uh, all wings of the church, the Catholic, the Greek Orthodox, uh, in nuns, through monks, All sorts of miraculous things and gifts of the Spirit have operated in every century. Uh, It's quite fascinating. If we had time, there are some extraordinary stories which we don't have tonight to look at. Secondly, cessationists would also say that if you look at contemporary experience, forget church history, there actually are no more miracles or gifts operating as they did in the life of Jesus and the apostles today. Again, I want to gently suggest tonight that's easily challenged because there are approximately 500 million Pentecostal Christians who believe these gifts are still operating today who have stories of experiencing these gifts and actually um, 
being on the receiving end of these gifts and being greatly blessed by them. So again, it's not just church history. We see these gifts in operation throughout the whole of church history. Also to this very day, we've actually um, you know, experienced these gifts. I gave this sermon at the nine o'clock service. Someone who'd never had a prophetic word before had one, had a prophetic vision during the talk and came and gave it to me afterwards. So that's an example of that happening today uh, in the church. Has anyone experienced gifts of the Spirit recently? It's a number of you. Uh, this is still happening. Now, what about the scriptures? Cessationists would also say that uh, scripture indicates that these gifts only applied actually to a few people like Moses, Elisha, Elijah, Christ, the apostles. And these actually authenticated uh, the coming of the kingdom, the birth of the church, the apostolic word. But now that the church has been established and scripture is, uh, has been closed in the sense of uh, the agreed documents that comprise the Bible known as the canon of scripture, now that's closed, we no longer need these gifts. Actually, uh, what's interesting is if you actually do look at Scripture, uh, um, it's in itself, there's no suggestion that these gifts are for a limited time or given only to a limited few or only for a limited purpose. I mean, just a plain reading of the verses tonight just show that these gifts are given. They're given to uh, all people, at least everyone, for the common good. There's no for 50 years, or just for the life of Peter, James, and John, or uh, all the rest of it. It just uh, is just an ongoing thing. So scripture itself also, if you read it just quite plainly, um, also doesn't deny that these gifts continue. So that's my opening gambit, and what I want to do now is actually look at the gifts themselves. So get this up on your phone, uh, get the passage in front of you if you want to, if you're that sort of person, and we're going to fly through these gifts very, very quickly. Are you ready? Are you up for it? If my voice goes, blame the All Blacks, okay, but I'm just going to keep going. So first of all, there's a reference to the spiritual gift of the word of wisdom in verse 8. This is not wisdom that comes through uh, education and life experience, uh, the wisdom of being an older person, having lived decades. Actually, this is wisdom which the Spirit himself brings, uh, the Spirit plumbing the deep things of God's mind. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 2, Ephesians 1. And uh, actually, some people think it might be wisdom related to the wisdom of the gospel. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 1. Although that seems to be available to all Christians, whereas this gift appears to have a particularity to it. So there's a sense that this is actually a supernatural gift of wisdom, irrespective of uh, our level of experience or what have you. And uh, I think, um, does anyone sense that they've ever had this? I'm not sure I've ever had the gift of wisdom. I'm sure you'll agree. But uh, there are examples. Jesus seems to move in all of these things. And um, Jesus seems to show the operation of this spiritual gift when someone comes to him one day and says, look, Jesus, who should we um, uh, pay taxes to? Should we pay taxes at all to Caesar or not? Now, this is a trick question. You know the story. If he said yes, the Jewish leaders might accuse him of idolatry. Caesar was depicted as God on the coin, and that would be disloyalty to Israel. Now, he clearly didn't want to do that. If he said no, though, there were grounds for being seen as an agitator against Rome, and, and Jesus didn't want to say that either. So people think his response actually, you know, Render unto Caesar what is unto his, and what, uh, render unto God what is God's, was this operation of this gift of wisdom. It's quite a genius 
uh, wise, extraordinary response, really. And again, the, ov the obvious uh, other classic is when um, actually, um, you know, um, someone brings to Jesus a woman caught in adultery and they want, there's a trick question, uh, they want uh, her to be stoned. Uh, what should we do with her? Uh, Jesus says that brilliant thing, phenomenally wise, uh, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. That's a, a, a sign of the supernatural gift of wisdom operating. So um, that's the first gift. It's a supernatural gift of wisdom. And actually the woman was greatly blessed by that because this is what happens. These gifts are given for the common good um, uh, when we operate in these gifts. Second one you'll see is a word of knowledge in verse 8. Uh, again, this is not knowledge learned through education or gaining information, but it's a specific gift of revelation that God gives to one Christian about another person or about a situation of which they otherwise would have been ignorant. And often this knowledge about someone, this revelation actually is it cuts like a knife to the heart of the matter uh, and unlocks that person's life and heart to the gospel or the work of God. And uh, again, you see this in Jesus' life, unsurprisingly. When um, basically the woman is by the well, Jesus knows. He's never met her before, but he knows she's had five husbands and the man she's presently with is not her husband. What's her reaction to that? Does she feel exposed and ashamed? Actually, no, she's delighted. She can't believe God actually uh, knows that about her, this person who's uh, never met before. So it actually builds her faith, she comes to faith, and she becomes a great evangelist for the things of God. Now, I have to say, I've had words of knowledge a few times, and I remember years ago, the first one I had was praying for a woman. She'd just come to faith, and I was just praying for her. She said, would you pray for me to be filled with the Spirit, Mike? I said, yes, and I'd like to. And so I started praying for her, and I just had this picture in my mind as I was praying for her, and it was like I saw a bedroom, I saw a bed, and I saw a box under a bed. It was quite an ornate box with a design on it, uh, quite sort of distinctive. It wasn't a cardboard box. And uh, I just felt God say to me, this woman has a box under her bed, and she's got to burn, just get rid of what's in it. So I said to her, look, I know this sounds really, really freaky. I feel a bit embarrassed about this, but do you have a box under your bed? She said, yes, I do. And I said, does it look like this? And her face, oh my gosh, you know. Uh, I said, she, she said, yes. I said, actually, what's in that box? She said, actually, I've got a whole load of um, books on the occult that I've been reading. And um, I said, well, it's funny because I just think God wants you to get rid of that box. She got rid of the box. Her reaction wasn't, oh, my gosh, freaky, freaky. Her reaction was, I cannot believe God even knows what's under my bed. And she was really, really encouraged. And, uh, you know, she went on. She got rid of the box, went on. Uh, in faith. Another time, these things can come quite unexpectedly. I walked in to buy a coffee in a cafe, and I walked in, and I was thinking, I'll just have this coffee, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I looked at the woman serving coffee, and I just had a picture, and I just, it was a sense, actually, and I just, I just said, oh, I felt God just say, look, this woman has just split up with her boyfriend. She's absolutely gutted. And uh, I was feeling a bit nervous that, you know, there's an awkwardness, isn't there? Well, what do I say? How do I do it? So I just went to buy her a bunch of flowers. I walked out, got a bunch of flowers. And I said, um, went back and I said, look, I know this is really freaky. I'm a Christian. I know that's a bit weird. But, you know, this might be just completely wrong. But 
I felt uh, you've just got to, sh- may have just said, show me that you've just split up with your boyfriend. And she burst out crying. She said, gosh, how do you know? I said, by the way, here's some flowers. God bless you. Here's, here's uh, my number. Uh, if he, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I said, I'm a pastor. If you want to sort of talk a bit more about God. <laughs> yes. I was going to say an inappropriate joke. I managed to hold it in. Thank goodness. Uh, so that's that one. Now, has anyone had that word of knowledge? I know lots of people have. Anyone? There's quite a few of hands going up. You see, so I'm telling lots of stories about me tonight, by the way, just because I'm drawing on my own experience. I'm not trying to boast or brag. And actually, I don't, uh, these are sort of few and far between these stories, but I, I want to just try and illustrate these gifts. Thirdly, we come to faith in verse 9. This faith is not based on uh, basic Bible believing, but a supernatural gift imparted in a situation where more than saving faith uh, is required. And uh, actually, you see this in the life of Jesus. You see this in the apostles, this, this sense of, on occasions, they seem to have great faith for certain things. So, you know, Peter, when he heals that person who's been um, uh, crippled uh, for many years in Acts 3, he has great faith he's going to be healed. Now, I have to say, I have experienced the gift of faith. And um, basically, uh, I was doing my curacy about a long time ago, and my vicar came into uh, banging on my front door. He said, Mike, Mike, we've got to go and pray for a girl called Catherine in hospital. I said, what's happened? He said, look, I've just got a phone call from her parents. She's 10 days old. She's been born with a big heart defect and problem. The surgeons just told her mum and dad, they're not Christians, that she's going to die within the hour, and they want us to go and pray with her and actually baptize her. And um, just before she dies. And uh, so we ran round to Brompton Hospital. We ran into the ward. We ran into the children's ward. We met the parents, and they led us into Catherine, who was about that big. I remember looking at Catherine, sweet little baby, completely sort of purple colored, deep purple. And I said to the doctor, why, why is she that color? He said, it's actually infection. She's got this terrible infection. Uh, we've done the art, but she's picked up an infection. She's, she's got uh, not much longer to live. And uh, so we baptized her, and we said to the parents, do you mind if we pray for her just to be healed? She said, no, we'd love that. And uh, so we prayed for her, and I just noticed as soon as we started to pray that um, she, she changed color almost immediately. I didn't say anything, because I, you know, I just thought, okay. And um, we left, and their parents phoned us up the next day. They said, you'll never guess what happened. And we said, what happened? She said, uh, Catherine is totally healed, totally recovered. And all that infection has gone, and the surgeons are calling this a miracle. None of them are Christians. And uh, actually, she's been completely transformed. So that was a phenomenon. The thing is, walking there, I remember saying to John, I just said, I said, look, it's going to be fine. She's going to be healed. And I was quite surprised I was even saying that because, you know, I'm not a man of great faith. But it was a supernatural impartation of faith. And I've had that at other times. I prayed for a guy uh, who was an eight-year-old boy. It was really, really awful. I, I remember just I was felt very moved when I walked into his hospital room. But he had um, that funny, uh, is it meningitis? Again, in a, they put him in a coma just to stop him from uh, trying to keep his brain, I can't really remember, uh, stable. And again, I went to pray for him and I had great faith. He was healed. And uh, again, the doctors were saying he's going to die. So 
Again, this is the gift of faith. Has anyone experienced this supernatural gift of faith where you just think, yeah, this is going to be whatever? There's a few nods around the room. So that's the gift of faith. Fourthly, we have uh, fourth and fifth, uh, the gifts of healing in verse 9 and miracles in verse 10. And uh, Gordon Fee, this theologian, says this, only among intellectuals and in a scientific age is it thought to be too hard for God to heal the sick. And uh, what's worth noticing here is that Paul speaks of gifts of healing in the plural, and there seems to be two uh, elements. One is the miracle. That would be, uh, that's something big, a miracle. That's like a raising someone from the dead. Have a look at Acts 20. And uh, healing would be raising someone from the sickbed. I guess what happened with um, uh, Catherine. Now, I don't know about you, but I almost feel embarrassed saying this, but there are Christians around the world who have prayed for people uh, who have been dead and they've come back to life. And these uh, instances are few and far between, but... Um, they have happened, and they've been scientifically uh, endorsed by doctors and stuff. And I know that sounds wacky, doesn't it, in Guildford and Surrey in 2015. But, but actually, um, these things do seem to happen, not very often. But what you see in the Bible is some extraordinary instances of um, uh, miracles. Uh, even the apostles' handkerchiefs, if someone touched them, they'd be healed. Or Paul's shadow, or it might have been Peter's shadow, cast falls on someone, they're healed. This is phenomenal power. And I guess, uh, in a way, um, what happened to that girl, Catherine, uh, was, a, was, a, was a healing, you know, miraculous healing. And um, the thing is, um, I haven't had that gift of faith or that gift of healing very often, to be honest. I prayed for I would say thousands of people to be healed. Uh, I've got to be honest, most of them haven't been. But I always pray for healing because uh, there's a 25-year-old girl called Catherine walking around now who'd be dead if uh, God hadn't used um, my friend John and I to pray for her. So I kind of think, oh, I'm going to give it a punt. And I have seen some remarkable things. I've seen uh, someone uh, who was born deaf get their hearing back. Uh, I've uh, been with friends who've watched someone's leg grow back. And I know that it feels a bit embarrassing saying this stuff, but, but actually, this is, what, this is what I've seen. Not very often. I, I, to be honest, I wish I saw that 10 times a day. Wouldn't you love to have that gift of, of just being able to heal uh, like that through the power of God? But uh, actually, um, I'd be lying if I said I'd never seen that happen. So has anyone seen uh, remarkable healings as you've prayed for people? Anyone? There's quite a few people here and uh, who have seen that. So, you know, the, this is uh, a common experience for Christians, although, of course, we have to say that often when we pray, uh, God doesn't heal for whatever reason. So we have to acknowledge that because I, I realize there's pain around this talk of healing too. So the sixth one is prophecy in verse 10. And this is a broad gift operated sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. There's a sense with prophecy, and we're going to have a whole week on this because we're going to just practice is Part of prophecy is about speaking a word from God for someone's strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Uh, I'm getting mixed up with my sermons now. Did I tell you that someone in the nine o'clock had a vision and gave me a word? Okay, I told you that earlier. I couldn't remember which, what, what I said. But basically, that really strengthened encouraged, and encouraged me, um, and it was a prophetic thing. There's also another sense with the prophetic where there is a future focus as well. Often we think it's just a future thing, but actually it's, a lot of it's about encouraging fellow people. But also there's a, there's a future element to it. And again, you see this in Scripture with, uh, for example, Agabus um, predicted the coming famine. 
And um, that was in Acts 11. And also people saw Paul was going to be in prison, Acts 21. And uh, so this gift is operable in the church. And um, it's important as a church that we're open to what God might be uh, saying to us. I have had um, uh, a number of prophetic words at times. I've God has, you, has anointed me, if you like, with this gift uh, uh, at times. Not all the time, but I notice at times I've had it. So I have had uh, words for people. And uh, also I remember I have had that sort of future thing only on a, uh, on a, uh, on a few occasions. I was at a church. Uh, it was a church of about 800 people, a very vibrant church. I was standing in the 630 service one night on a balcony, just worshipping, singing all the songs. And then it was like I had this vision of like the whole church. Just It was almost like it sort of... Uh, had a car crash and was spinning and then came to a stop. And I remember just looking at it and, and I felt God just say, the church is about to crash, but it's going to live on. And there was a sense of the, there was still life in it. And uh, I, I thought, well, I've learned what to do with these things. I went to see the leaders of the church and I said, look, I know this is a bit freaky, but I was worshiping tonight. This happened. And uh, they said, gosh, that's incredible. And uh, it was obvious something was going on, but would you believe it? The following week, the church closed. Amazing, isn't it? And then uh, about 10 years later, it opened again. It's open now. And um, it sort of survived and opened again. So this is an extraordinary, that's a sort of future thing. But then there's lots of uh, other, other things of God speaking. I went to a meeting a couple of weeks ago. And um, I, I, I don't know, I'd encourage you to do this. In the morning, I always pray for the Spirit to fill me. I always ask God if there's anything he wants me to do or... Um, or say to anyone, and uh, I didn't really get anything. Then I suddenly had this picture of a man, it was a vision, walking towards me. I really saw his face. He looked quite desperate and quite sort of overwhelming, and my immediate reaction was to sort of run the other way. Uh, but then this guy um, pulled out like a pearl out of his mouth and gave it to me. And I felt God say to me, look, Mike, you're going to meet this guy. Uh, don't um, run away, but just stick with him. And he's got some real, real, something of real worth to give to you. I was hoping it was cash, but I don't think it was. And, <laughs> and um, anyway, so I go to this meeting. It's a formal meeting of a networking thing. I, I've never met anyone uh, at this meeting before. There's six or seven of us sitting around a table. This guy walks in. And uh, there he is. And I'm slightly, but I said, okay. And I've set up to have lunch with him because, but you see, that's pro prophetic, isn't it? God is, is showing stuff and speaking. And that doesn't happen very often, to be honest. I don't want you to think I have this all the time because I don't or that I'm super special. I don't. Hands up if you've ever had a uh, prophetic gift, uh, word or something like that. So there's quite a few people looking around the room. There's lots of people you see. This is, it would be, if we had time, it would be great just to go around everyone, wouldn't it, and hear lots of stories. So that's, I think, prophecy. So we're moving on to discernment of spirits, verse 10. This is not some natural ability of deductive logic based on experience. This is a spiritual gift which enables one to understand the spirits operating within a personal place. Have a look at 1 John 1. 1 John 4, 1. It may also uh, be used to judge prophecies. And uh, also the spirit, uh, what's going on in the spiritual realm. And uh, actually what you see um, with Jesus, for example, he clearly operates in this. One of the most moving things is when Peter recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus says something like, you, well done, Peter, you haven't discerned this on your own. This has been given to you from God. And then on another occasion, uh, 
Peter uh, is rebuked and Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. And there's that sense of Jesus discerning what's going on. And um, this talk of spirits, of course, can be very, very frightening. Um, I haven't always been a Christian. When I heard about these gifts, I was a bit freaked out. When I heard about the spirits, I was very freaked out. Um, I thought, gosh, this is all very strange, that this idea that there's good and evil and that some people um, can labor under um, you know, demonic spirits, all this sort of stuff. And um, then I went to get my hair cut. As you can probably imagine, my hair takes a lot of managing. I have to have it cut. I have to have it cut very regularly. And um, I, went to, uh, I went to have my hair cut and this, got talking to the hairdresser and I suddenly started thinking, I think this guy, uh, uh, I just felt, it was like, I think you've got some demonic stuff about you. And anyway, he told me his story. It turned out that he was uh, very into the occult. And I suddenly thought, oh. And then I was on a weekend away. It was an alpha weekend away. We had a great guy in our group, in my group. And uh, he, um, he seemed just to have something about him. And I said to uh, my vicar at the time, look, we've got this guy in this group. He's a great guy, but there's, there's something that doesn't feel quite right about him. And uh, he said, I, actually, I've spoken to him. I think he's uh, demonized. And uh, anyway, he said, do you want to come and pray for him just to be... Uh, set free, and I said, oh, I didn't really, but I said, okay, and, um, and so we spoke to him, and he started just, um, it was obvious this guy was demonized, that's all I can say, and my first reaction when I saw that was, oh my gosh, the Bible is true, that's what I thought, I thought, that's so freaky, this, this, what, this, what this thing says, that's actually true, and um, anyway, the other thing that was amazing was just through the power of the cross and Christ, he was set free uh, very, very quickly. And what was remarkable about that is I did think to him, I did think afterwards, isn't that amazing that, that we can, using these gifts, set people free in that way? And I often think about that guy thinking uh, he, he went on in his faith. He was amazed that he was set free. He couldn't believe it. He'd had a long history of family involved in the occult. He married a girl in the church. It, you know, uh, all went very, very well. But I remember thinking, gosh, what would have happened if he never got that help? What sort of would have happened in his life, you know? So that's the discernment of the spirits. I was at a party recently, and I was talking to someone, and I just suddenly thought, you know, there's something about you. And uh, this is, I'm telling you these stories, because often these things, it doesn't happen when you're praying, or it's not like prophecy. Often you're out and about, in the office, uh, in the pub, uh, at Twickenham, watching the rugby, and you just start to notice a few things, like the demonic nature of the wallabies. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think, basically, if you're Australian, get over it. Now, um, anyway, so I'm thinking there's something wrong with this guy, or there's just... Oh, there's, Anyway, so I got talking to him. I always go and, if I feel God's showing me stuff, I always go and speak to people. And uh, so I got speaking to me. Again, his mum was a medium, his sister's in the occult. And we had a chat about that. So this thing, all this works all the time. Anyway, so where have we got to? Sermon to the Spirits. Seven tongues. Uh, Speaking in tongues. Now, Paul really wants everyone to speak in tongues. He says, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, what is tongues? Now, I don't know whether you've heard of the gift of speaking tongues. Tongues may be natural languages that you've never been taught. You see this on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 1 to 10. The um, 
apostles basically start speaking in all sorts of different languages that they haven't learned. And people say, are these guys Galileans? Uh, so it can be a language, the ability to speak a language that you've never been taught can also, secondly, be uh, like a heavenly language, language of angels, the Bible calls it, 1 Corinthians 13.1. And um, actually, uh, what's interesting, I think, about the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues is that it's the only gift that's given for personal edification or encouragement. Uh, that's interesting, I think, because all of them uh, actually um, are given for the common good, but for this one, it's given for the common good, but of yourself often. And uh, so... Uh, Basically, um, I don't know whether you speak in tongues or not. Does anyone speak in tongues? Lots of people are owning up. They're coming clean. <laughs> and uh, it's, a great, it's a great gift. I first heard about this gift uh, from uh, a friend of mine, uh, my girlfriend, actually, when I was at law school, at Guildford Law School a long time ago. She started talking about the gift of tongues and speaking in tongues. And did I want to speak in tongues? I thought, no, thanks. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard about. This is, you know, when you feel a bit frightened and freaked out and you want to run. That's kind of how I was feeling. And uh, then I, I thought, I've got to go and speak to the only other Christian I know at the law, law college called Linda. She was a very sort of proper middle-aged woman with kids and she was quite safe. And I, I went up to Linda. I said, I said, Linda, I think Amanda's gone mad. Uh, she's talking about speaking in tongues, this funny heavenly language, and she's even done it, and it just sounds quite strange, and I'm flipped out. I mean, what do you think? And she said, oh, don't worry, Mike, I speak in tongues too. It's absolutely marvelous. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, that's the last thing I need to hear. Um, but anyway, I speak in tongues now. I've received that gift of the Spirit. And I have to say, I, 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 I pray in tongues. I speak in tongues quite a lot. And I find it is edifying. And uh, I'd encourage you to have a go at doing that uh, yourself. I uh, pray that God would enable you to do that. And, and actually, don't get hung up on tongues. It's funny, of all these gifts, people get a bit hung up on tongues. It's, it's probably because it's quite freaky. It doesn't, if you don't speak in tongues, it doesn't mean you're a second-class Christian. If you do speak in tongues, it doesn't mean you're more important, whatever. We just are open to the Spirit and just uh, see what he does. And I discovered the other day that the Archbishop of Canterbury, good old Justin Welby, uh, Eton, Cambridge, um, what have you. He prays in tongues every morning for an hour, um, which is quite amazing, isn't it? He prays in tongues every morning. Uh, and uh, it's quite remarkable what God is using him to do. Um, he is uh, basically um, really opening up the Church of England to all sorts of mission and ministry and um, really doing some very, very exciting things. I also notice this is not a principle, but for me personally, when I pray in tongues a lot or speak in tongues a lot, and I try and, I try and do at least one morning a week for like half an hour, I don't mean that in a legalistic sense, but I've got a little compulsive, obsessive thing I do through the week, and I have a morning doing this. I find when I do pray in tongues, it seems to uh, release stuff in me and release the gifts of the Spirit in me. That's for me personally. So I'd encourage you to... <clears throat> uh, have a go. So that's speaking in tongues. I think we're nearly there, ladies and gentlemen. One more. Eighth, uh, the interpretation of tongues, verse 10. Now, what's interesting is that actually you can privately pray and speak in tongues. That will edify you according to the Apostle Paul. But also there's a sense in meetings like this or in your life group or uh, in whatever group you're in, uh, it may be someone speaks out a tongue. And you see this in uh, the 
the Corinthian church too. They, they might, in the context of, of, of a meeting or a church service or a prayer meeting, speak out a tongue. And then Paul always says when that happens, that needs to be interpreted because it's, you know, someone needs to interpret that. And so there's this spiritual gift uh, where someone gives a public tongue, it's called, of interpreting tongues. And um, actually, um, someone is able to interpret uh, what, what is being said through this tongue. And again, you know, I think that I thought, gosh, that sounds weird. And I was at a prayer meeting maybe um, 20 years ago or so. I've, uh, uh, at HTB, Holy Trinity Brompton in London, if you haven't heard of that church, uh, it's, the Alpha Course came out of there, and it's a very sort of vibrant church. It's a great church. And uh, anyway, they had a prayer meeting, and um, it wasn't very well attended. And uh, six of us, maybe five of us, sat on the stage here in a little circle, praying. It was, we were hoping hundreds would come, but uh, I'd just come to faith, and um, I was sitting there with Sandy Miller, who was the vicar of the church at that time, and a few of us, and we were praying. And um, he then said, you know, it's funny, I think, someone, I think someone has a tongue to speak out. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And then someone spoke out a tongue, and then he said, let's just wait for the interpretation of that tongue. And I'm like... <laughs> This is so freaky. This is like being in, in a bad film or something, interpretation of the tongue. This is it's like being in Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something. I don't know what it is. And then I suddenly thought, oh, my God. I've got the interpretation. I remember, I remember my heart sinking, thinking, oh, no, please, no. And uh, anyway, I started speaking, and I said something like this. I said something like, uh, yes, um, basically... Um, God is anointing this church with his spirit in quite a phenomenal way. And this church is actually going to plant churches all across London, a whole number of churches. And then it's going to start planting churches across the whole country. And many, many people are going to be blessed through it. Of course, there's other churches doing great stuff, but this was the sense. And that that was kind of, I remember sort of feeling quite embarrassed afterwards because, I mean, it was just... This got this big thing, and I actually left. I pretended to go to the loo and then just ran home because um, I felt a bit embarrassed. But what's bizarre is that has happened. It's so bizarre, isn't it, 20, 25 years later, and it's gaining in pace. So that's the interpretation of tongues. So uh, hopefully we've hit all the barriers. Ignorance, well, you know what these gifts are now. Disbelief. Well, I hope you've heard enough tonight, even though they're freaky. I'm not saying this isn't freaky. Uh, Actually, this is weird. But actually, these things do uh, exist. These things are realities. Theology, I hope we've covered that. We could have spent a whole night looking at that in more detail, but I hope I've said enough. Insecurity, inferiority. Well, actually, according to the Apostle Paul, he'd stand here and say, all of you, Names by names, say so you'll have at least one of these things that you can move in, at least one. And, uh, you know, you probably have a lot more. Fear, I think fear is a factor in this stuff, but quite frankly, uh, I don't know whether you've realized it, but the whole um, call of a Christian to follow Christ and be, uh, see what he does is actually, uh, you've got to overcome quite a lot of fear actually, if you're going to really speak about your faith, if you're going to step out, if you're going to really live the Christian life, fear is always an issue, and you just have to feel the fear and do it anyway, and uh, I feel, uh, actually, I'll tell you about that some other time, so that's fear. Um, uh, Practice, how do you practice this stuff? Well, all you do is literally just ask the Spirit to give you these gifts, and I noticed 
interestingly, I often pray for certain ones, but I notice if I really pray, oh God, God, please, would you give me this gift? I notice that I start to move in it. I'm not saying like uh, all of them, but uh, I'd encourage us just uh, now all to stand together. And I want to give you the opportunity just to ask God to do that. Have we done that in this service already? I've done four today. Have we done that already? Should we leave it then? Let's not do that. Did we do that? I've all four are merging, uh, merging into one, these sermons, and also sort of Ma Nonu's try is sort of just watching him score is also coming. So um, let me just say in closing, if you're here tonight, you're not a Christian and I freaked you out, I'm sorry about that, but uh, there is a truth in these things. And actually what this really speaks of is the fact that God is supernatural and uh, he's not um, dull or boring. Often uh, in the church, we come across as dull, boring, irrelevant, very, very weird. I mean, we are a bit weird. Uh, I think I've confirmed that tonight, so sorry about that. But, but actually, if you're, if you're feeling a bit dull and bored in the Christian life, it's often around not being uh, really pursuing the things of the Spirit and living the life because uh, actually it's an amazing um, adventure that God is seeking to lead us all into and on. Um, so all I want to say is as a church, if we're to really see the common good come about, we need to be people of the Spirit and people who move in the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, I think I'm going to um, stop there. God bless you. I love you all. <laughs>